This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Liar. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. And Westbrook is on the freeway! What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Forrest Walker, at Do Nots on Twitter. How you doing, man? Uh, It's been a long week. Let's see, where do we start? How about this? How about this? Uh, let's talk about the Daniel House situation. <laughs> Uh, Forrest, do you want to run through what the, for the listeners what happened? All right. So it all began on September the 8th, which was a Tuesday. Uh, and on that day, uh, there was, according to NBA reports, uh, some... You know, I should start. I should start with the mysterious part at first. Uh, Tuesday is when it started, but uh, what happened is that Daniel House missed games three. Uh, it was three of the Rockets versus Lakers series for quote unquote personal reasons, uh, and missed game four as well. And we would only, in the last couple of days, learn what actually was happening, which was that he, uh, according to the NBA, he had violated quarantine protocol and had brought a woman into his hotel room. And we can go into all of that as well, if you'd like. Uh, and due to this, he has been ejected from the bubble permanently, though we'll see how much of a difference that really makes. But uh, the whole thing was, suffice it to say, a huge mess, uh, a massive black eye for everybody involved, and potentially marriage-breaking for him and his wife. So this is a, the kind of story that awakens my least favorite part of Rockets Twitter. Um, it's bad enough that they're playing the Lakers and that they, that they drew Scott Foster in game two. So everybody's already on high alert. But this story just brings out the conspiratorial nature of Rockets Twitter. Am I saying the league handled it perfectly? No, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. The Rockets shouldn't have to list Daniel House's out with personal reasons only for reporters to dig in to find out what actually happened. It's on the league to be transparent about that and what the hell is going on. 
we shouldn't be finding this stuff out secondhand and thirdhand from Chris Haynes and Shums. And by the way, that's the correct way to pronounce his name. I still don't know why he lets people get away with pronouncing it. Yeah, Shams or whatever. It's that's why, it's, that's why, that's why it's Shams bombs. You know, but but it's it's Shams. Like that, yeah. that's how that's how you correctly pronounce it. I I don't know why. You know, I'm going off on a tangent, but it's on the league to be upfront with what's going on. Because you know the conspiracy theories are going to be flying if you don't. Because they're playing the Lakers. And people already think that that's the league's favorite team and that they cater to them. And you're feeding into their worst instincts. Yeah, I I don't really care for the way this is handled. I, all right, In terms of the facts of what happened... Uh, I have to, I, I don't really, I don't know everything happened. And I don't care. Like it, he did something or didn't do something. It's not on me to litigate and figure out what happened. It's not on me to like, uh, try to like take care of his marriage or whatever. It's whatever happened, happened. All right. But the way that the league dealt with it is, has been very weird. Like you said, they let information out at a, at a slow trickle. They did some kind of long investigation. It took multiple days that, it sounded like at one point the only evidence they had was a door opening and closing, but then I guess they also have like video footage. The whole thing was a real mess coming out. Uh, who knows if this has been if this has happened with other players before or after? Since they are very tight lipped about all of this, uh, it is it's hard not to feel kind of like House was made an example of for one reason or another. And once again, I think like it's not on me to say whether whatever happened with him. It seems like he did whatever they're saying he did. But it's the like you're exactly right. The Rockets fan base is very litigious. It just it feels like these kind of things happen to Houston more than other teams. I don't know if that's true or not, but from this perspective, it really feels like it's true. And trying to make sense of why that is makes it very easy to lean into conspiracies. And this, yeah, this really doesn't help with that. Like, I don't want to be litigating this. I just want to never think about this again. And ultimately, this is on Daniel House. Like, listen, I like Daniel. I wrote that big story on him last year, and he's gotten better every single year he's with the Rockets. I think he's a solid NBA player. Unfortunately, this is the kind of thing that stays with you as a player. Here's the reality. A lot of people didn't know who Daniel Daniel House was before this story. This is not how you want your name getting out there. Uh, I don't want it to happen to him, but I've had people tell me this is worse than the Lou Williams incident, and I kind of agree. Uh, Daniel did something stupid and dangerous, and that's after the Lou Williams incident. So he he knew he knew this wasn't right, and it was in the middle of the NBA playoffs. Something he knew he was wrong. It could potentially cost his team a really good role player in key games. And if I'm a player in that locker room, I'm furious about this. I'll say it right now. As far as the Rockets go, I'm I'm not sure he bounces back from this. Like, look, he's he's not getting cut, but I wouldn't rule out getting traded. Like, he's a good player. He's on a very good contract, but this is the kind of thing that people resent you for, and it could cost you a, a spot on the team this summer. Yeah, uh, I don't really want to deal with all that. <laughs> like, it is it. This is ugly, and it is the kind of thing that like makes people not trust you around the league and within your team. Uh, it does kind of seem like uh, there was there were reports of it that uh, that she said that she was going to Tyson Chandler's room uh, that was judged by the league not to be true. 
So I I think it's not too hard to piece together that the Rockets would have preferred to uh to have Tyson Chandler kicked out of the bubble than Daniel House. But that's the, the yeah. funny part of the story, right? Like the, the Rockets, <laughs> right. like reading through the articles, it's very clear that the Rockets set up Tyson Chandler to be the fall guy. Like they told the girl, like, listen, say it was Tyson. Like if all goes wrong, if we get caught, say it was Tyson. Like they had their story together. And once they got caught, they they put it on poor Tyson. And Tyson, I think Tyson was being a, a team player there, but the league quickly found, put it together. What really happened? And listen, Daniel got caught. He got it, caught. So is it still? It, the earlier reports are that it was a Disney employee, and specifically, she was a te- a coronavirus test administrator. Uh, is that what the final reports ended up being? I remember the the NBA release being pretty vague about the about the identity of the woman. It was someone unauthorized to be in in his hotel room. That's that, that's all. That's all the league is saying. Okay, but and, that includes like everybody, right? Like they can't let anyone in their hotel rooms for sure. And that's why this is on Daniel House. He knew, like he knew. Even the reporters knew this. So if if you're an NBA player, you especially have to know this. And this is in the middle of a pandemic. This is dangerous stuff, right? Like I know, I know. Like once you're in that bubble, you kind of feel invincible because nobody in there is really testing positive. But there's a reason the, the, the league is being so strict about this. It's because they've created this environment because of how strict they've been, right? And by breaking the rules like this, you're just putting everyone else in danger. And I don't know. Listen, the league didn't handle this perfectly, but this is on house. And I don't really think the Rockets got screwed or anything. I just think Daniel House made a mistake and it cost his team a key role player. It's a bad situation for the league also because like if this is indeed someone who is who is testing them that's like that's not as bad as if it was an outside person entirely right this is a person who's tested regularly and doing tests regularly uh but that they, they but he also was in contact with this whole team right so they did like a a half day quarantine for the rockets it seems like that's one that's the part that's the weirdest to me because it seems like in this situation, why would they need like a half day quarantine? I guess they just needed to test everybody as quickly as possible and see if they got back negative results. Is that like that was my read on it? But yeah, I'm guessing the idea there is that you can't really postpone a game like that. Yeah, they couldn't delay a game. Yeah, and I I don't want to I don't want to go deep into the, the intricacies of the story. I I just want to leave it be right. Like I. <laughs> I, I I believe the league. I, I built the league. I think the league did a pretty thorough investigation. And listen, he's not kicked out of the playoffs if they didn't. That's just the facts, right? Like I I th- I think they had evidence that he violated the protocols, and this this is what ended up happening from it. Um, let's talk about the game. So I don't want to talk about Daniel House anymore. Um, I believe the last time we recorded was after Game One, and I have a lot of crow to eat on this podcast. But let's let's first run through every game that we missed. How do you feel about game two? Uh, game two seemed like the Lakers striking back and it was pretty close throughout and the Rockets just weren't able to outlast the Lakers. But I didn't feel bad about that game. So the story of the game was pretty much how bad Russell Westbrook looked, right? And they yeah. lost, but ultimately, like they lost this game in the first and fourth quarter. Like defensively, they could not contain the Lakers in the first quarter. The Lakers scored thirty six points. Offensively, the, the Lake the Rockets couldn't find a rhythm. They scored just twenty points in the second quarter. They started getting their mojo back, kept it within uh, within striking distance. The Lakers uh, 
scored 31 points. The Rockets scored 31 points. And then the third quarter, the Rockets just exploded. Uh, pretty much Eric Gordon uh, was just raining threes. He had 24 points in this game. He really got going in the third quarter. Then in the fourth quarter, the Lakers just figured them out defensively and held Houston to 17 points. Uh, and uh, the, the Lakers were just good enough offensively to close them out. Uh, 27 points led by LeBron, who was fantastic. He had an awesome series in general. Uh, he's had an awesome series. I don't want to say he had because the series is technically not over. But in this fourth quarter, he really carved up the Rockets. Uh, Russell Westbrook was in foul trouble. So LeBron wisely picked on him every time down the floor. And Westbrook just couldn't be physical with him. And P.J. Tucker was also in foul trouble. But ultimately, like Westbrook could not get going. And that was pretty much the story of the game. Yeah, uh, not really what you want to see if you're a Rockets fan. But it was... It wasn't that it, it was a reasonable game that brought the series to one one. It didn't it just felt like this the series was uh ramping up at that point. Right. Let's talk about game three because I feel like this it's pretty simple what happened here. I have two words written in my notes here. Uh do you want to take a guess what they are? Oh boy. Um I don't want to take a guess. I want you to tell me. <laughs> LeBron James. Uh, the Rockets were neck and neck with these guys the entire game. They shot 40% from three. The Lakers only shot 33%. Here's the difference. The Lakers limited Houston to just 30 attempts. This is a team that was averaging 50 attempts per game in the first round. And LeBron was just flying all over the court on defense. This might have been the game where he got two blocks on Westbrook. I don't know. Uh, regardless, he was just insane on both ends of the floor. And when it came to nut crunching time in the fourth quarter, the Lakers scored 30 points. The Rockets scored 20. That's it. That's the game. They lost this game by 10 points. Yeah, uh, that one was hard to watch. Uh, it, it it looked like the Lakers had an even better handle on how to deal with the Rockets, and they just kept them out of their game uh, the whole way down. And the Rockets being close was honest, like through most of the game was actually very impressive, I thought. Uh, given how they looked really outclassed over, throughout the entire game. It was, that was not pleasant. And Rondo, by the way, Rondo in this game had 21 points, nine assists, uh, eight, 11, eight of 11 from the field, three of five from three point range. Uh, this is a guy they, the Rockets intentionally left open uh, for defensive <laughs> purposes, and he just let them pay. Uh, and after the game, the Rockets talked about how they were not going to let that happen in game uh, four. And listen, like if Rondo's hitting threes on you and the Lakers are doing what they're doing defensively, like you're just, you're toast, you're toast. Because the, the Lakers big two, they combined for 62 points and 22 rebounds and uh, 11 assists. So when those two guys are on like that, especially LeBron, like there's, and the Lakers are already great defensively on top of Rondo hitting his threes. Like you, you, you can't do anything at that point. And like the Rockets, the Rockets stars were good in this game. Like you look back at this game, you think, Oh, maybe Harden wasn't good again in, uh, in this game. No, no, he had 33 points, nine rebounds, nine assists, uh, 11 for 23 from the field, seven to seven from the free throw line, four of nine from three. Harden was good. Westbrook had 30 points, eight rebounds, six assists. Westbrook was good. Um, the better team won. Like, I I don't know how else to put it. The better team and the better te- player won, and I think that's really been the the thing to me. Uh, where, this is really where I have to eat crow here because all year I've been skeptical of this Lakers team, and in the, in in the last podcast we recorded, I even 
floated the idea of the Rockets uh, deserving to be the favorites in the series because of how well they matched up with the Lakers. And I was wrong. I just was. Like, I underestimated how quickly the Lakers would figure out the Rockets as soon as they put Anthony Davis at center and stop playing JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. Like, I think I was right in saying that they had no chance in the series if they continued playing those guys. Uh, and the the Lakers wisely took those guys out of the rotation. But as soon as those guys were taken out of the rotation, it wasn't like, okay, now they'll have a chance against the Rockets. It's like, no, no, now, now they'll beat the Rockets. Now they'll step on their throats, right? And I think that to me has been eye-opening thing for me. Like I, I, I just, I just did not think the Lakers could defend like this. They're just swarming the Rockets, especially from three. They're just like the Rockets find these small creases in the defense, and the Lakers scramble and recover really fast because they're long and they're quick. And uh, it's just watching it on TV is just it's uh, staggering. It's really impressive that they're able to just basically do what the Rockets are doing, but better. <laughs> After not even doing it during the season, that's what's wild. Like I. Like I was wrong about this as well. Like I had, I had thought, suspected that if they have to try to match Houston style, that'd be a disadvantage for them. But uh, no, they match Houston style and are just better at it than Houston is. Yeah, and, and here, here's what's really troubling here: the Rockets had 30 rebounds in this game. The Lakers at 43. The Lakers are playing quote unquote small ball at this point, right? Like you cannot let that happen if you're Houston. Like you're supposed to keep the rebounding battle at the minimum even, right? If if you're forcing them to downsize and not play their traditional bigs, I mean, you expect to at least stay even in the rebounding battle. The Rockets didn't let that happen. They Closer than that, at least. Yeah. And, oh, and we're going to talk about game four in a minute. We're going to talk about the rebounding battle in game four. But in game three... Uh, getting out rebounded by thirteen—that's just not acceptable if you're Houston. Yeah, uh, this is the game where it really looked like the wheels were coming off. It is also the first game that didn't—that uh, that did not feature Daniel House. Whether it's later or a lot, not you be the judge. I, there's no way to really know. Uh, but it, yeah, the Lakers look like the better team at this point. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gives you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you the full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager on than anyone else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. 
Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Right, and I, I don't think that had anything to do with Dan. I think Daniel would have helped Houston, but I don't think it was uh, like they lost. I don't think they lost this game because of Daniel House. Like point blank, I just I think they they lost this team because the Lakers were just better, and that's fine. And like if if you're if you're gonna lose to a team, lose to them with them looking clearly better. Uh, I don't think that's what happened in Game Four. Game Four was just different. Like the Rockets just looked like complete dog. Right, like I, I have no other way to characterize them, because that's the kind of effort they gave in this game until the fourth quarter. Like for three quarters, they were just dragging their feet through the mud, and that's everybody. That's the star players. That's you know, like Westbrook had had twenty five points, eight of sixteen. He was fine. Harden was, I I don't I don't I don't even want to talk about Harden. He had he had twenty one points, ten assists, but most of those points were in garbage time. Like most of those points were during that fake comeback, and he was two of eleven from the field. Like he was just not good. He was. He, this was not a good game for him. He had five turnovers, and the Rockets really had to mix up their rotation in this game because they didn't have Daniel House anymore. So that in the second quarter, uh, they started featuring more of their role guys. Right. So Ben McLemore. And Austin Rivers got early playing time, and I thought that was the right move because if you look at their rotation, they the, they just have nobody else to turn to right now. They, they like they like faults and all. You have to play Ben McLemore. Like listen, he he's gonna he's gonna have some really bad defensive possessions, but you ha- you don't have Daniel House. Like you you can't just play these guys forty minutes a piece and play like six guys. You have to play uh, Ben McLemore at some point. Uh, I thought that was the right call. I don't think it was the right call to have any time where uh, Harden and Westbrook weren't on the floor, right? Like I, th- I thought that stretch where they had just Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon leading the offense. I thought that was a mistake, but um, uh, extending the rotation, I thought that, that was the right call. Well, uh, I mean this this game goes back to something that that people have been uh, talking. This is not the first time this has happened with the Rockets where it just seems like sometimes things go badly for them and they just kind of give up. Uh, this was a very Clippers um, from 2015 kind of vibe. Yeah. And which was very grim. Uh, we, I don't, it's, it's so weird. This is part of the personality of this team, especially given that many of the same players, like a pretty good chunk of this team was part of that, like 2018 run and that that team had no give up in them and this team seems to be basically all give up like apart from russell westbrook running at a thousand miles an hour the whole time and pj tucker doing pj tucker stuff like there's a for whatever reason this team seems to get in their own head a lot and i don't know what you do about that it really does give me a vibe of that clipper series from 2015 where they were down 3-1 and i mean Harden just looked as awful as at the end of that series as he did uh, in Game Four of this series. Like it, I, I, for the most part, I thought Harden was having a pretty good series against the Lakers, and then Game Four happens, and it's like that's just indefensible. I, I don't think he was as assertive as he needed to be. And even Mike D'Antoni today talked about how he, he, the, there needs to be moments where he's just selfish, where he just like takes over the game, and it's like you know what, let, let me have the ball and. The Rockets' offense in general, like this is the kind of series that just kind of tell. Listen, like I don't want to write the Rockets off, but I mean it's it's kind of easy to do that when they're down three one. But this is the kind of series that 
tells you like they they need to they need to shake things up offensively. And I don't know how you achieve that, but this whole everybody stands around, nobody cuts, uh everybody just kind of waits for James to do his thing on the offensive end. Like I don't think this is sustainable for high level playoff basketball. Like I, I and I defended this style of basketball for a long time because it's been effective for several years in the regular season, but in the postseason, I think you need to be a little bit more creative than this. Like I think I think this kind of offense has a ceiling. And I think good teams like the Lakers defensively, I mean, can take away a lot of what you want to do. And if you're not hitting your threes at a high clip, like there's just no way you're gonna stay in the game. And I don't I don't even think like the Rockets lost this series because they couldn't hit threes. I just think they they lost this series because they didn't do anything other than try and shoot threes and floaters and layups and not try to get cutters rolling to the basket. You know, like offensively, they're the Rockets just looked very limited against this team. Yeah, and this has been an ongoing problem for them that. Uh... Oftentimes, it is the offense that fails them more than their defense does. Like, they have a reputation for being a really bad defensive team. Uh, and their defense is has some some years been really good, some years been really bad. It's kind of spotty. Uh, I think it's mostly because their effort is really spotty. But the offense is something that will give that is i think oftentimes more fragile in defenses like when your defense is good it tends to stay pretty good but they they can be figured out right like it it kind of feels like once teams figure them out and stop and like realize that they can beat them they just do so uh like once you figure out the rockets tricks you figured out their tricks and they don't have a lot of other stuff they can go to to beat you and i think that's part of what uh chris paul went in the years he was in houston offered is that he did have a separate set of skills that was very different from everyone else's that could put a lot of pressure on defenses right like if they were if they were denying the rockets everything they typically wanted to do they had someone else who could do something different uh but now you know you 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 have Russell Westbrook. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do. It. Like I I know you're you're beating around the subject here. Let's talk about Westbrook. Uh, Westbrook just creates a problem for you, right? In this series, I mean, he's just consistently causing doubles for Harden. Like the Lakers are shamelessly leaving him open to cheat off of him to guard Harden, and Russ is just driving into Anthony Davis and doing uh, God knows what the hell he's doing. Like he's he's not been good at countering these doubles and, and listen he, he can put up a good stat line that doesn't mean i don't think he played particularly well i don't think i don't think he offered much when that 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 hard double came to harden i don't think you know like i don't think the rockets were smart in how they used him in this series and i i don't think he i just don't think he's a good fit next to harden i don't like like and this is something like we talked about when the rockets made the trade this summer like i just i never understood it and come high level playoff basketball i don't know how good teams don't easily figure this out and on top of that your offense is pretty simple as is and something just needs to change this summer for houston i'm i'm not i'm not going to specify like what needs to happen cuz i like i i can't do that for them like you know I, i'm not i'm not their gm and i'm not i'm not some i've been someone who's defended Mike D'Antoni year in and year out. And I think the limitations of the type of offense the Rockets have run in the regular season kind of 
rear their ugly head in series like this. And you're right, Chris Paul offered something different. He offered something that just could not be schemed. And you don't have Chris Paul anymore, so you have to shake up the offense. And he's and Chris Paul was a better fit next to Harden. And listen, the the, the Rockets, regardless of if they win Game Five or not, to me that's irrelevant. They they have to. I, they're, I think they're losing the series. Like, like you, you, you want you want to do predictions yeah, real quick? I mean, they're not gonna, they're not going to win three games in a row against the Lakers. It's against LeBron, LeBron and AD. Yeah. yeah, sorry, you're going home. Right. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to get that out of the way. So, regardless of if they win this game or not, like they need to figure some things out. And I don't, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe that's with Mike D'Antoni as the coach. Maybe it's not. You know, like and. and you know, I, I am some again. I am someone who's defended Mike till the bitter end, and I don't know. It, this is this is this is a series that's really exposing a lot for them offensively, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do this summer. It really is, and I, I like I think you know there are shades of Rocket Twitter that have already gone off the deep end, right? And you see this every time the Rockets get limited in the playoffs, but it's even darker now. Like you're starting to see people talk about, oh, should they trade James Harden? And it's just like. No, like no, no, they shouldn't trade James Harden. It's not like, going to make anything better. Yeah, right. He's he's the thirty-one year old superstar in the prime of his career. He's probably one of the, the fifty greatest players of all time. I, I think he's even better than that. I think he's top twenty, top top thirty. And I don't think trading him solves your problems. Like, I, okay, let's just say ideally you do the highest percentage rebuild there is, which is a tank, right? Like that's the best way to rebuild. Let, and you get your superstar in the in the top of the draft. It's he's probably not going to be better than Harden. Like odds are, whatever situation you find yourselves in, then it's not going to be much better than where you find yourself right now. Or let's just say you do a non-traditional rebuild, right? Like you you trade off Harden for draft picks, you trade off Westbrook for draft picks, which I don't even know how you trade Westbrook. But let's just say you do. You trade off the rest of your roster for draft picks. You have all these draft picks, right? You, you're you're the you're the bell of the ball, right? You have all these draft picks. You're waiting for the next superstar. Basically, doing what the Rockets did. Once uh, their Yao and T Mac era ended, first of all, I don't think Rockets fans remember how depressing that era was. Like, I, I, I really don't. I think I really think people have forgotten. Like, because th- that era has been romanticized to a degree, where like people talk about the Kyle Lowry and Goran Dragic and Kevin Martin and Luis Scola teams. Like, they were, you know, they were dogged. They were fun to watch. They competed hard. You know, they went forty one and forty one every year, and they were the fourteenth pick in the draft. So what? What are you gonna do with that? Like it's not that's not fun. Like it's 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 not a fun. Like I guarantee you, for fan, fan bases around the league, do not enjoy that. And uh, Rockets fans at the time did not enjoy that. Like that was not a fun position to be in. So listen, like I don't trading James Harden's not the answer. Maybe it's, maybe you reshape the roster around Harden. Maybe you try and explore Eric Gordon trades. Maybe you try and explore Robert Covington trades. Maybe you try and you know shop around like. PJ Tucker and Daniel House. I don't. I don't know. So again, I don't know what the answer is going to be. Like we, we're not, we're not in the post mortem part of the Rockets offseason. We we can't really discuss what needs to happen until their seer, their season ended. But I'm. But like these are the kinds of things that the Rockets need to start thinking about right now. And I'm sure they already have. Yeah, unfortunately so. Uh, yeah, like you said, the the end goal of basically everything most NBA teams do is to get a guy like James Harden, and. Like, I think what's really has Rockets fans in their feelings right now, and justifiably so, is that 
this is kind of a moment where it's hard to deny that a lot of the criticisms people have had of this team for years are probably more true than Rockets fans would like to admit. And there are now in the unfortunate position of having to admit those things. Like James Harden is a deeply flawed player, but he is like every other player in the league, except for like three in that way. Right. That's the problem is that even if you find the person you're trying to find, you're not going to get the next LeBron because no one gets the next LeBron. That's not a thing. Like the, the one player who is so good that he will win a championship for you is basically nobody even lebron and kevin durant and hell even steph curry right these guys all had to team up with other excellent players to get there you can't just find the one player who's going to get you to the promised land it's not as easy as just tanking there is no good way to get back to where the rockets are even though where the rockets are kind of stinks especially compared to where the rockets have been previously but this is I don't know. This is just kind of how it goes. Like, it's not going to be any better by trying to like panic or do anything like that. You just have to run with who you have and try to do the best you can with who you have and not get too panicked about it. Again, the end result of a rebuild is to try and get someone like Harden, like you said. And usually that player is not as good as Harden. And th- th- that that's kind of that's kind of where you land with James Harden. Like he is just really, really freaking good. You have to roll out. Um, you have to roll them out until you can't basically on your roster. Like, like, like a lot of teams in the NBA would are envious of what the Rockets have in him and would love that kind of a piece to rebuild around. Ask the Kings, right? Ask the Suns, right? A- ask any of these these really really ask the Spurs, right? Ask any of these miserable franchises right right now that are trying to rebuild, like what they would rather have their current situation or what the Rockets have. They're picking the Rockets any day of the week. Right, I'm sure Rockets fans do not enjoy this, but I'm just telling you right now, the grass is not always greener. I think people romanticize rebuilding, and I don't think Rockets fans want that right now. I think, I think, I think if you're Houston, you already have Harden. Uh, you kind of have to figure it out. And again, I think you have to reshape parts of your offense. You have to rethink some of the way you do things. You have to, you know, I don't know if the Rockets are going to continue doing microball next season. I suspect that they will because because of the way their roster is structured. But if you are you know, maybe you have to find better players to do it with, right? Like maybe you have to find better role players. Maybe you have to finally get into the luxury tax, use your non-taxpayer mid-level exception, right? Maybe Tillman has to, you know, finally open up that wallet of his, right? You know, like you, you, you have to do other stuff. And I don't have the answers for Houston. I just know right now they don't have the answers. Yeah, and I, th- I think the reason that this stings more than it might otherwise, right? Like losing in the second round to the first seed is on its own, not that bad of a fate, right? Like that means you're a top four team in your conference. Uh, you're still pretty good. You're, you know, you you're you may be right back there. The reason it stings, especially for Houston, is that I'll contend that they this is a team who has shown so much in flashes that it makes it very frustrating when they fail to live up to that potential. I think they're unusual in that way that like this is a team when you see the fourth seed, you're like, yeah, but they're not a normal fourth seed, right? Like even their detractors expect better from them than this because everyone knows that they've been better than this and they can be better than this. And when they fail to do so, it's more disappointing than it would be if than if they were, say, like the jazz, right? What I don't like about the detractors conversation is because I think a lot of those detractors, let's be honest, I don't think I don't think they deal in good faith. 
I, I don't think they're they're having the type of nuanced conversations that we're having on this podcast, right? I, I think they're going to try to boil it down to one singular thing because they want that to be the singular thing that they can talk about. You know, I don't, I, I don't think it's that easy. I, I think if you're trying to figure out what's wrong with Houston, I don't think you can just say, oh, James Harden's just not a good playoff performer. I don't think it's that simple, right? Like, I, I think the conversation here has to be more nuanced because the answer to the uh, to Houston's problems are going to have to be more nuanced. There's one problem that the Rockets have historically had that I think, to some degree, everything can boi- be boiled down to. But it's an answer that nobody wants to talk about because there's no point talking about it and no one wants to deal with it, which is that they were good at the wrong time. It's possible. I I, I tend to think they caught some bad luck. Uh, like 2018 in particular, Like I really do think that that's the year, right? Like If you're to circle one year out of all the years the Rockets almost did it, that's the year. And you have to try to figure out a way to get there uh, as as a, as a unit, like I think, defensively the Rockets have never been able to get there, right? I I think I I overrated how good their defense would be because of how they performed in the first round of the playoffs. We're seeing it now in the second round. Like opponent strength really does matter, and I think Houston, yes, they do turn it on to a level in the playoffs defensively, but it's not to the level where we can just overlook how inconsistent they were in the regular season. Some of those habits translate over. I think next season, like, listen, they have to try and get a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. They, 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 they cannot just roll into the season with a middling defense again and try to cobble together a good defense by constructing your roster midseason. You can't just pick up role players midseason and just say, okay, now, now we're going to have a defensive identity. Like, like, no. Can I go on a tangent briefly because something you mentioned? This is something I've wanted to say. I, I want to say this a lot is that strength of opponent is extremely important. And I think it's one of the most underrated factors in the NBA today. All right. We, we watched, we watched the bucks smash a historically weak strength of season all during regular season, just to get utterly humiliated in the second round of the playoffs. Like I, I do think we we tend to underrate how important strength of season is and how important the strength of your opponent is and everything we do when we're looking at teams. And yeah, uh, beating up on a, on a Thunder team with, that had a bad offense did make their defense look a lot better. But then once they came across a team that is incredibly talented and smart, uh, it's not going to look as good. And you're right; like they have, they need to. They don't necessarily have to get back there exactly, but they have to get back to something that is that good because that's kind of what it's going to take, right? Like it's it's really hard to win a championship, and it. I feel like they just. After that year, it felt like everything got weird, right? Like they came so close and nearly missed it. And instead of just calming down and running it back, it that's not really what happened. Uh, and there's been a lot of weird changes ever since then. And I just, it's it's baffling to me that they couldn't just do it again. If they just do it again, like we, who knows what could have happened? It. It's been a frustrating road, and like, yes, I know this road is not done yet this season. They still have at least one more game to play, but I think at this point, like, we all know what's happening, and we know that like we're going to be doing the Rockets retrospective sooner rather than later, and it's uh, it's not fun. It really isn't fun. Yeah, I'll put it this way. Like, Harden's career arc is starting to look a lot like Chris Paul's, and that to me is infuriating because I, I like to see superstars max out their potential. And I think 
Chris Paul has just not been on the right, the right team. Like I, I firmly believe in my heart of hearts, Chris Paul is a good enough player to be the best player in a championship at his peak. Like at his peak, I thought he was that good. And I would defend it to, to like the day I die. I think a player like that, a player like Charles Barkley, like, you know, some players just get unlucky like that. Harden, I think, is kind of following that kind of a career track. He's 31. You don't want to write him off right now. But uh, the Rockets have to turn it around and make his career arc more like Dirk Nowitzki and less like Chris Paul, right? Like they have to figure out how to grab that one title. They have to figure out how to put it together uh, for an entire season defensively and offensively like they did in 2018. And for that, I think it's going to involve some creativity from the front office, from the coaching staff. We'll see. Listen, I, again, I don't I don't know the answers. I just know that there are a lot of problems here that they need to figure out. And I, I'm looking at them and I'm like, okay, even if they even the series out, you know, do, do you trust them in the finals against the Celtics or the Heat? Or in in the Western Conference Finals against the Clippers, I don't. You know, I I, I think I think that the Clippers team has clearly been better than them all year, and that that that's that's kind of where I land with the Rockets this year. Yeah, uh, we're about to we're about to have a lot of time to talk about it. That's and that that's my take on it. Yeah, so subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at SoMonelyNBA. Follow Forrest on Twitter at DoNotForrest. How do you spell that? It's D-U-N-O-T-S. Subscribe to Stay of the Rockets. The newsletter is coming out on Sunday. What day is it today? It's Saturday. Yeah, it's Saturday. It's coming out on Sunday. It's coming out on Sunday. All right, guys. 